Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of New and Improved. Oh man, you know, one day you're riding your bike, going down to the family movie center, about to rent a copy of Bad Dudes for Nintendo, and honestly the next thing you know, you're nearly a 40 year old man like I am today. And the thought of retirement is all too real. And if you're like me, you have no idea what the hell to do and how to set yourself up. Traditionally, I've hated banks, and I don't trust anybody in the world of finance. But thankfully, some of them do employ good people like my friend Fred. By day, Fred's a community ambassador for a local financial institution. And by night, he's the brains behind PrairieFireCanada.ca, a personal blog in his journey towards financial independence. Fred helps me understand what financial independence actually means and how anybody can start their journey towards early retirement. Stay tuned to the end as Fred and I reminisce about the time we almost burned down an entire trailer park when we were 13. Yeah, anyways, enjoy everybody. I don't even want to name it because it's so bad. <laughs> Hold on. Oh. oh, I can't drink that. It tastes like perfume. Peach natural water. Don't drink that. That is, is that, that must have been for mix, I guess. So people brought that over last night and it's just left over. So. La Croix. La Croix. La Croix. Oh, yes. Now you'll never get sponsored by those guys. <laughs> Anyways, Fred, Fred, peed the bed. I did. He did. I really um, did. I have my friend Fred on the program. Fred, maybe introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my name's Fred. I am a father of two. Lived in Saskatoon since 1997. But how do we know each other? We go back to good old Swift Current. Probably since what we're year? five years old. Like junior? No. Yeah, probably kindergarten through Selvig. Through Chris Selvig. Chris exactly. Selvig. He was the, he was the connector because he was a French immersion guy. Yep. Um, Hanging out with those weird French immersion kids. Yeah. And I think you and I always just had the the bond growing up because we were kind of the two most common minorities, I would say. Wouldn't you say? I'd say so. There was a, we were a rarity. Yeah. We were because a nice there's novelty some people who moved people. later. But for some reason, I think you and I just always had the bond. Plus, we also lived very close to each other. So Yeah. Like, uh, we moved close to where you were probably when I was probably like eight or nine. Yeah, yeah, into Stil- Stilwell? No. Uh, Highland Drive. Highland Drive, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And remember when you moved three blocks that way, and we figured out that it was probably the exact distance from our childhood homes when you lived oh, there. Oh, right, yeah. If you think when about I, Yeah, we lived- moved back into the same neighborhood, like, I guess that was like six years ago. Yeah, and that yeah. is, it's almost the same direction as well as yep. from my parents' home. Yeah. Um, that, that was... Pretty neat, but uh, anyways, now we're, you know, 20, 30 years later here in Saskatoon. You and I have had very similar lives in the sense of we both came to Saskatoon at the same time, at the, went to university at the same time, lived mm-hmm. in res at the same time, yep. and got jobs here, but then you ended up piecing out. Well, yeah, I, um, I think we went through a lot of milestones together, yeah. right? Like university, graduating, jobs, um, I was I worked right away. So I worked for a nonprofit organization, I believe, two thousand three to two thousand seven, um, doing a lot of work with 
low-income families, uh, those facing certain challenges when it comes to getting jobs and stuff. So played that role and then decided to go to Cape Breton University to do a master's in, in business administration. Is that where you went? Was yeah. it, it wasn't Dalhousie? No, it wasn't Dalhousie. It was Cape, uh, Breton. Cape Breton University has a specialized MBA focus for people to do like nonprofit work. Oh, that's right. And then when yeah. you came back, you stayed at my house for like half a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was half a year. And yeah, I was, we were in, I was in between places. I was moving back from, from Nova Scotia and working and trying to finish my master's. Took and longer. I remember we were, yeah, we were probably late twenties or early mid twenties. It was probably like 2006, No, I, I was started, I think it was 2008, 2009. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was fun. You're like, I was counting how many people I've lived with. It's like 18 or 19 people. I've Holy lived with. cow. Just like little stints like that, yeah, but you're, short. you're, you're in there. Hmm. Yeah, I can't drink that. That is terrible. <laughs> Anyways, the the reason I thought it'd be really interesting is because you yourself are producing content, and um, it's all around the financial stuff. And knowing how financially illiterate I am, even being a commerce grad about my own personal finances, mm-hmm. I thought it'd be really interesting to bring you on. But you also are interesting because you also work by day at a bank. Yeah, I work for a financial industry or for the in a. In a credit union in the financial industry, and yeah, I just I as that actually sparked because I came from the nonprofit world, which had I had no sort of inkling of finances, what money is, what debt is, what, and the impact that has on people's lives. And then I was lucky enough to uh, get hired in their community department and learn more. Like I just dove in and. It was it was very very interesting, and then one of the things we did is we do financial literacy classes for people who basically are starting out, new Canadians, um, people who may not have been you know knowledgeable in that or had their parents pass that information on, Our which 30, is similar to thirty nine year old businessmen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should know better. So it, it was. Do and you then, teach those? Uh, we do. We um, we go out and, and teach in the community, and we have community organizations. Is that part of your job is to know yeah. that stuff? Oh, yeah. is that why it kind of sparked your interest as well? Because you yeah, seem I to had, be very well-read in the financial literacy world. To be totally honest, I was not interested in financial literacy. I was like, this is well, yeah, not this is not something I, I care about yeah, at all. Yeah, all of a sudden, just, I remember all of a sudden you had this interest in it, and you yeah. created a blog. What's a blog called? So it's called prairiefirecanada.ca, and... Um, it, there's there's two ways of looking at it. One was my professional development and learning about the financial industry, but then also something really personal, where um, where I my family went through a really hard financial shock sort of era, where um, we had a major issue with our house. Uh, our are you, roof are you had to be about replaced. Your, fam- your immediate family, or your parents? Uh, no, my immediate family. So my wife and we got a wife and two kids, and our house ceiling started leaking water. And so we freaked out a little bit and found out it's going to cost us 15 grand to fix it. And then I own a rental property with my dad and there was a major rainstorm and had seepage. So that was going to cost another 20,000. And then I found out that um, my pay was getting cut at work. And all that all happened probably within six months. Yeah, I remember talking to you. I freaked out about it. Um, I did what I did best and just like went online and Googled you know, finance, budgeting, and then I stumbled onto this weird subculture of personal finance called financial independence. 
And it's like financial a, independence. Yeah. Right. So the reason my website is called Prairie Fire is the is the fire part. So it's called financial independence, retire early. And it's a sort of subculture of people who are sort of bucking the trend and avoiding debt and sort of extreme frugal savers who are wanting to basically retire at a relatively early age. So by the end of their 30s, maybe in their 30s type of thing. And so that intrigued me. Um, and I did a deep dive and I've been swimming in it since. And it's it's fascinated me to a point where I just like, hey, why don't I start a blog? And I've never written anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I hate being the center of attention, but when you're passionate about something, you can't stop yourself. But it's, this is on an educational side too, right? You're- um, no, it's a, the, the actual blog is more of a very personal um, telling of my experience. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not necessarily to be like, when you read my blog, you will know everything. It's more like when you read my blog, you'll be like, oh, no one told me about that. And I've never heard someone actually go through it because most people haven't. Mm-hmm. So it's more sharing my experience. But I always link it to financial literacy, to even countercultural perspectives of, you know, it's not necessarily that you're financially literate, is that the world is working against you to actually save money. Mm-hmm. Right? There's all these They're factors. trying to separate you. From They're trying money. to separate you from your money, but you don't know that you're in that game. Right, so mm-hmm. their game is to take the money out of your pocket and put it in theirs, mm-hmm. and that's the whole sort of system. When we say right now. they, like, who do, who do we mean by they? Who 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 isn't it? Right, like if you really think about it, if you're watching television, if you're reading a newspaper, if you're on Facebook, which everybody is, that is their end goal: mm-hmm. is to create a transaction for you to give up your income. Mm-hmm. Right, and for you actually to give up your labor because your labor produces your income, mm-hmm. and so they're trying to tap into your hard-earned work to gain their own income. Right? Well, can't you say it from the other side? Is you know we're also providing you value to something that you want, mm-hmm. and so we're, it's not necessarily a complete evil, right? No, it's not evil, but that's the game, right? Don't I'm not saying don't participate. I'm not saying don't be part of it. If you want to create value, great. But there is a point where people don't realize what value they're actually purchasing, mm-hmm. right? That's even to a home, right? Like people don't understand what a home is. They just live in it, but they don't quite understand what it, what the actual value is an asset. So what right? do you try to define a home to be? Um, a home is definitely a place where you live. It's definitely one of the biggest investments you're ever going to make in your life. But people buy it like they buy a vehicle or like they buy clothing, right? It's what they feel, right? In regards to like, it's got to feel right, which is good. It's got to represent who it's they gotta are. It's got to represent who yeah. they are. It's like, it's like an extension of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bit of danger in that, in that you sort of get caught up, and especially now over the past 10 years, since 2008, there's been a huge push for people to own their own home, right? There's a larger narrative that if you don't own your own home, you're missing out. Mm-hmm. And that can be a dangerous narrative to build as part of who you are. You are you as a person. You're not a homeowner. You're a person. Yeah. Right. You may own a home, and it's important to you. But just if you don't, and you're a young person, you shouldn't stress out about it. Right. It's not. It's it's not something that defines you as a person. And that narrative is sort of built over time. Right. Our parents tell us the same thing. Yeah. Oh, you got to get the game. You yeah. got to get in. You got to you got to get a piece of that equity. Yeah. But there is a danger in that. People need to be aware of how to measure both the need for a home. Getting something that you like versus the biggest financial 
decision you're going to ever make. Mm-hmm. And some people don't put in the thought, and many many people don't hear that type of message. Yeah, working right? at a bank, do you see kind of some horror stories, or you hear about them? Or? I don't personally, um, but because now that I work in a fa- in the financial industry, um, you you seek out information where it's like, whoa, this is this is troublesome. Like the latest survey that they did. Um, across Canada, um, I think it was an Ipsos Reid uh, survey where people can't handle. Oh no, it, was, it wasn't Ipsos. It was uh, Myers Norris and Penny mm-hmm. saying that people can't handle a two hundred dollar hit, mm-hmm. right? And then they're going to get into bank personal bankruptcy. That is telling. Just a two hundred dollar. Two hundred dollars. That that's like painful for them. That's painful for them, and it's is that almost just a the risk. average Canadian. That was the average that they surveyed. Okay, right. And then you're seeing an increase in. Um, especially in Saskatchewan, people in arrears with mm-hmm. their mortgages. You're seeing an increase in the amount of debt that people are having, right? So we went from, you know, for every dollar earned, 80 cents was going, was was represented in debt. Now it's $1.72 for every dollar earned. Hmm. What does that tell you? Yeah, that's negative. Right? That's negative. That is that's it. That's troublesome. That's the average, right? Yeah. So averages also have extremes, but, but that's good for the banks. Um, yes and no, because the banks are dependent on people to have steady income, to have good but lives to and to pay, pay back, it. right? Yeah. So they're, we're all connected, right? What's good? For what one person's sort of cost or whatever they spend on is someone else's income, but we're all interconnected. We don't want the whole system to be at risk. So. If you were talking to somebody who was, you know, just getting into it or wants to just start on that whole fire, what is it? Financial independence, retire early, yeah. Um, kind of th- idea. What are What's an easy way to summarize it and what are kind of some rules and or principles that you kind of abide by? Yeah, so for the fire movement, there's, there's a number of principles, but I would narrow it down to probably maybe three or four. So first is really understanding how much money is coming in and how much money is going out, right? Mm -hmm. So basic budgeting is probably the most powerful tool because when you have control and understanding of that, it both allows you to understand where your money is going, but also question, is it aligning with who I am, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes we just spend spontaneously without really thinking. So one of the things I cover on my site is looking at lining up my values with my spending, Right, so my values is investing in my home, investing in my family, investing in giving back to the community, and then also making sure that we're healthy. Mm-hmm. Right, and so if I do that, and then I look at my spending, and I find that oh, I'm actually like going out for dinner a lot, or I'm going to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not giving as much as I would like. Or I haven't really invested enough in my family in regards to maybe going out and doing fun things. Right. So it, by doing that, you sort of get an understanding of who you are and what you're actually doing and making sure those are match, matching up. Right. Okay. So how do you monitor that? How are you? Well, you just that? use basic basic budgeting, right? You can use like are you using an app or yeah, are you using I'm, just a spreadsheet. I'm using. I used to start with a spreadsheet, but now I'm using an app, Mint. Oh, it's yeah. Free. Everybody knows about it. Cool. Um, and it's very popular. Um, and then you just, you, I set a budget for the family. It was really hard. Like, people make it sound easy. It's probably the thing I hate worst Is about. Every month? Well, I set a budget in regards to a monthly budget. Okay. Right? Um, it's always changing because 
different things come in, right? So in the winter time, we probably spend less because we're not spending much time outside. Higher or, heating bill. You know, but there's also costs with that. In the summertime, you're going on vacations or going camping, so that's an additional cost. And then Christmas time is, you know, buying presents, doing yeah. all that stuff. So taking that into mind, and we've only been doing this probably about a year year and four months, year and five months. So it hasn't been a long time. And is Gina on board or are you guys tussling back and forth? We we tussled back and forth because we didn't do a budget before. Mm-hmm. Or at least when we did, we weren't really disciplined. So it's accountability, right? Like mm-hmm. if I decide to go to Starbucks, that's going to show up on the budget, oh, yeah. right? So we, we see where we're spending, right? Mm-hmm. And she has additional pressure because she's, uh, she's working at home with the kids and she has to make most of the spending decisions, mm-hmm. right? I get I get much lighter load in the sense I go to work and I'm there all day. Mm-hmm. I don't have many decisions to make when it comes to spending. But she's at home. But she's at home. She has to go grocery shopping. She has to take kids to go out and do things. She has to find inexpensive ways of, of having our kids be stimulated and engaged. And so my major thing that I do is making sure that the bills are paid, mortgage is paid, everything's more automated. Um, you got like way. a nineteen like fifties style family. Yeah, <laughs> it just sounds yeah. so like the, the roles are so. It's just traditional, right? <laughs> yeah, it's very traditional. But that's that's sort of <laughs> that's sort of the life that we've agreed that we wanted to live, right? Mm-hmm. Like when the kids are done, she's going to jump back into work, and and that's going to make a huge difference for us financially, right? right? Yeah. So, like, I think the first principle is budgeting because that's the hardest part, but probably the most insightful for okay. people. Then what's number two? So once you have understand a budget, you can see where you can create what they call. They, like to call the gap. So the gap is the difference between how much money is coming in your income versus your expenses. So if you create a large enough gap, you get at the end of every month savings, right? Whoa. I know. Crazy. <laughs> uh, or in the business world, profit, right? Yeah. And then for people who are in the fire movement, they their, their sort of focus is creating as much gap as possible. And so they call it like extreme frugalness. And that can range from, you know, folks who only own one vehicle uh, who may not own any or they may have they may decide never to buy a home. Right. And not follow that traditional trajectory. Mm -hmm. And when they create a large enough gap, they then take that to invest in assets. Right. So that could be. Rental property, it could be stocks, it could be bonds, it could be... Why wouldn't be, it be a, like a home property versus rental property? Well, rental property can be seen as like a mini business, right? right. So, so it's generating, it's generating income. Right. So one of the risks of being a person who works nine to five is that you only have one source of income. Mm-hmm. And so something could happen in your life. And so it's always good to have multiple sources of income. That's what businesses do. They try and diversify. People should do the same thing. Right? Okay. Um, so with that, you take that and invest as many assets as possible and build your portfolio of whatever's made out of as quickly as possible, mm. right? So for them, what's really important is getting a large savings rate. So that's a percentage of your income that doesn't go into your expensive, but goes into your into your uh, portfolio, which then can be reinvested, right? So in that if you if you get the right type of portfolio that can accelerate over time, say it's an average of six to seven percent per year, then that's going to build over time, right? And most people are saving ten percent of their income. These folks are looking to save thirty, forty, fifty percent of their income. Wow. So if you do that for enough years, you'll have a portfolio large enough that the interest that it's making is equivalent to the expenses that you have in your day-to-day life. 
right? Mm-hmm. And once you hit that stage, what do you call that stage? A sweet that's spot? called that's called financial independence. Is when the interest is you're when making the, on your investment is pay off your can pay off your expenses, and then that's retirement. So that means you're no longer reliable, relying on your on your income to pay your expenses. It's just technically interest. right because you, your your portfolio is dispensing enough money every month. To so, what come. do you consider the interest on? A revenue property would that just be the rental income? So that's a bit different. Um, they call that like the cap rate. So that's a very technical term. But what that is is looking of when you first buy a property, say it's a hundred thousand dollars, right? And the rent that's thrown off is a thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. right? So you get twelve thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So that's a twelve percent cap rate, right? Okay. So that's your that's your return. That's your return, right. yeah. Based on the money that you invest. Instead of calling it interest. Yeah. yeah. So interest just a, is, a, is a very general term. And I'm not a, I'm not a yeah. financial expert. It's just expert. another term for return, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So if you're, if you're able to get that money every year to basically cover your year's expenses, then you're financially independent. Because yeah. you are no longer relying on your labor mm-hmm. to pay for your life, right? your day-to-day life. What's number three? So the third one is... I would say probably like education, getting as much information as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I've learned from my experience is delving more with people who are sort of heading down the same path as you. Um, one thing I found is when I was getting into it, I felt I felt alone, right? Like there's no one else really on the same path as me. Sure there is. There's guys on TLC's Extreme Cheapskates, the TV show. <laughs> sure, sure. But I'm, I'm a big believer in community. Right, and community is not a one-way street. Yeah. It's agree to disagree, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Uh, but yeah, just the ability to to talk talk to people, to learn. Um, I've gotten a lot of um, a lot of benefit in engaging with Facebook groups um, and just just improving my education. And once you get started, you can't stop. Like all my podcasts are focused on either real estate, financial independence, or just bettering myself. Right, mm-hmm. I no longer consume to entertain. That's no longer something that I want to do anymore. So you look like a guy now who doesn't have cable. I don't have cable. Um, do you have I, Netflix? I have Netflix, but I barely watch mainstream media. Do you know media. what Netflix and chill means? I didn't until someone corrected me one day. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like, you know, we're like late 30s, and I was trying to explain to my friends what it was, and they didn't believe me. mm and then I had to go get a bunch of millennials to go tell them. And they're like, yeah, no, it means go bone somebody. Yeah. And I, they were making me feel like I was making that term up. Oh, really? And it's so popular now, right? That's funny. And this is like a conversation that should have been two years ago because I'm sure the kids are going to listen and go, these guys are at it. <laughs> Anyways, so you don't, yeah, I've always known you as a very practical guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always said you're my moral compass because you seem to always have everything. You're so well-adjusted and you're so calm with everything that you approach that you, you're very certain, it, as it seems. Or so I'm, confident. Seems, of, I'm confident. Of the approach. And, like, you know, I, I'm always, I'm all over the place. And you've lived with me and I'm always asking you a million questions. I'm always, like, ethically and morally trying to figure things out. And you're always telling me, you ask me a question and it answers exactly the direction I should be going. And it makes so much sense that you're doing this mm. specifically because it just it's not a surprise that you're doing it. So um, it's really neat to see that you're taking it to the next level and trying to, you know, just open kind of your life. Because, again, you, you felt alone. Yeah. 
And now you're hoping that people who are feeling the same thing don't feel alone. Have you seen a good following? I've had a decent following. I Even the other day, I was noticing a friend of mine on Facebook who had joined because I invited them to a Facebook group called Chooseify. And every day I see her making a comment on there. Mm. And just the idea that I've connected her with a larger community. She was already frugal, but I'm... It's glad it, it gives me a lot of satisfaction to see that she's joined a community that she can engage with to talk about something that most people don't mm-hmm. talk about. Like I've, there is a paper called the I think it's called the Health Index, and they surveyed Canadians and they say fifty percent are worried about their retirement, and another fifty two percent of these of those who surveyed have no one to talk about finances with, not even their partner. Hmm. Right. And so I think that is like the missing link is our ability to talk openly and honestly about our financial situations, mm-hmm. about admitting the things that we don't understand and just it and just be con- honest. It's confusing. It's, it's super confusing. And if you're like me, I don't trust anybody in the big finance world. Mm-hmm. I never have. And, you know, I, I, I work in marketing, so I feel like I'm kind of looking in. To how the sausage is made a bit of how, you know, they come up with their marketing campaigns. And I just feel like because of that, it's, it can't be good for me in the long run. But uh, you work for a bank, so you kind of have to like, you know, it's kind of a conflicting thing. I, I wonder if you ever have that challenge of just kind of balancing like, you know, the, the pressures of making sales at a bank versus what you truly need to do for what's best for you. Yeah, most definitely. Like I think for me. I'm in a unique situation where I work for a financial institution, but I, I'm not in the sales department. Mm-hmm. I'm more at the corporate level. Um, I, I have been involved in creating financial solutions for people, so specifically mm-hmm. a payday loan alternative. Mm-hmm. So that feels good. Mm-hmm. To create a flexible loan for those who don't traditionally qualify for lending mm-hmm. to get out of payday loans. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and those, so but those a, are the good news stories that yeah. come out of banks, right? Yeah, but uh, it must be just interesting because ultimately the banks want to do all this community stuff to eventually, like, they make their money on interest that sits in their vault, essentially. So, well, they make their money by lending out money. But the right? only way they lend, the only reason they lend is because they make interest on the money that on goes the, out. Yeah, exactly. They, the they make a, they make a profit for. Which is, which is the business model, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Um, but is it the financial institution's job to educate people? True. Right? Because um, you can see the same thing about car dealerships, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or buying a second-hand car. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to educate yourself about those type of things. But this is why I think that having you as an ambassador for that financial institution is great because as a person who knows you and knows what you stand for, you would never, if there was something that you felt like you were some sort of puppet, mm-hmm. you would not be a part of that organization. No, I would more definitely like from a, from a moral perspective, I've, I've, I think I've struggled with it a little bit, but I always ask the question and the people that I work with in the financial institution I'm with has always been open and honest and, and, um, and yeah, I'm just going to say it. I work for a credit union, which mm-hmm. is a very different model compared to the charter banks. Yeah. And so we are totally dependent on the success of our members to actually exist. 
right? So it's it's is the, because of the model we are have sort of like built in mechanisms to grow the community to yeah. grow the community and give back, right? So it's it's would, it's would that mean you small, wouldn't work but for, would that mean you wouldn't work? For I'd have a, I'd have a hard time working for a larger um, larger charter bank. Um, just because of what I want to do and who I am as a person. But it doesn't mean the people who are sitting behind a desk at a chartered bank aren't doing good things for the people that they serve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a question of over the long term, where is that company or organization going to be mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to serving folks? And that's that's going to be a constant thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's nothing new, right? So Totally. Yeah. So let's turn it back to me for mm-hmm. a second because... I can use myself as an example. So I own this house. I own my condo, which generates a few hundred bucks a month mm-hmm. downtown. But I bought it in when the before the boom, and you know that you've been in that one. Um, this place is always seeming like like it's bucking the trend of the market. It seems like it's going up, and the market's going down. Uh, the, my house is. I'm invested in a. I took out money to invest into my company as a partnership that was more than a decade ago. And I still always feel like I'm not set up properly. Mm. Um, I just feel like, you know, when I hear about people, like I have no, I have like RSPs and some mutual funds, you know, classically through work and just some privately, I just dump in whatever I have left in my account at the end of the, the accounting season for the RSP thing. And I feel like I'm just doing like kind of the bare minimum. And I feel like sometimes if I look back, I'm like, Oh no, I have a few things that are all kind of, appreciating what do you think of that and like how can you make me scared or feel better about where i am oh i hesitate from doing that because no, i'm looking for accredited advice <laughs> i'm hold you to <laughs> i think where you need to start is where do you want to what's your goals right like lots of people ask me these questions i'm like how how am i supposed to answer something that you need to know yourself right so if you want to you have to have an idea of how much you need to retire. But how, should I be doing this by my age now? Because yes. I, so exactly. You should be doing this when you're like as early as possible. But I feel like I needed to do that when I was like matched up and, and dating or married or something. But I felt, and, but now as, as a 39 year old, like it's probably, it seems so much closer. It's like, I just woke up one day and retirement was like something I had to worry about. But mm-hmm. I would say when I was, in my late twenties, I didn't even think about it. But now, ten years later, I'm like, "Did I do the right thing? Did I not set everything up properly? And is it too late for me?" Or I go through the same thing. Like, I've only been doing this for a year, but you're and we're all- the same age. Yeah, we're both about to turn forty. Yeah, Let's just put that out you there. You before me, true that for sure, for sure. Like by a month. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Is that I, I? I just wrote about this. I can't change the past. Mm-hmm. The past is done, so I'm not going to worry about that mm-hmm. right now. I'm going to think about what is the future, right? Yeah. So one of the things I've done is calculate what I think I need to actually live after I retire. Yeah. Right. When there's no longer income coming in from my labor. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy working the elevator with like a little captain's hat in a huge hotel pushing buttons for people unless it's your choice yeah but i just feel like sometimes i see i'm so happy my parents are retired and have and they work for the my dad worked for the government so Mm -hmm. obviously he has that pension and he's 
he's fine for the rest of his life. And sometimes I see like a lady who looks like my mom working in a, a restaurant, cutting vegetables or doing something in a, in the food court. And it kind of breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's hard to see. It's the consequence of not planning. Mm-hmm. And if you truly want to know what you need to do, then, you know, find someone who can at least put you on the right footing. So you, you talked about what you have, right? You have your your real estate, both personal and for rental property. You have your business, mm-hmm. right? And that's actually pretty powerful to be in a business because if you are part owner of a business, you can actually walk away and still receive income. Yes. Right? I have to look at the shareholders agreement. I'm not too sure. Man, but, I'm so done with that stuff. Well, the thing is, <laughs> that, that, but you're, you're probably off to a better start than the average person. I hope, but you don't know. Like you, when you, you know, it's that FOMO. You don't. You look around and you're like, "Wow, like, am I not setting myself up properly here?" Well, w- explain that a bit more. When you say FOMO, what do you mean? Well, in the sense of people are like, "Oh yeah, I have like stocks in Amazon or whatever," and oh. and I'm I don't I don't have any of that stuff, and it's like I've read up on it. I used to be kind of into it when I was younger, but I never pulled the trigger. And I do have cash, but at the same time, I'm always like. I'll just dump it in because it's usually at the deadline of the RSP de- deadline. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, instead of just thinking where this money goes, I'm just going to put it in here, which is probably a dumb move. Talking to my friends who are very savvy with investments. I think, and that's, that's actually um, the exact opposite for me. I don't, what, what I don't listen to the news. I don't. Well, you listen. said you don't, you only consume to educate now. Like you don't. Oh no, but like, movie. I don't listen to the news about the market. Hmm. I don't try and pick stocks. I'm not smart enough. You're smart enough, Fred. Oh, uh, I don't have the time. Okay. Right? I'm not, first of all, yeah. there's people who are way smarter than me who have a hard time investing. Because a lot of people, only time people brag is when they're making money. Yeah. Right? But as soon as it's tanks, you're not going to hear anything out of them. So you're only going to hear the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not necessarily fact, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I sort of approach is like just keeping my portfolio simple. Mm-hmm. So I just invest in index funds. They're cheap. They perform according to a certain index. So that's just a, a collection, a collection of um, of uh, of stocks. And I just let time do the work, right? So compounding interest, right? Yeah. And so I don't worry about trying to beat the market, as they say. I don't worry about trying to find a single stock that'll make me rich overnight, mm-hmm. or to brag to other people. I'm too I'm too busy and I'm not smart enough. So I create my I create my portfolio quite simple. I think I have maybe three or four types of types of um, indexes that I invest and in. And so let's get more detail on that. Mm-hmm. Do you do that personally? Like you actually look at yeah, it? I have I have a self directed brokerage account, so I can I can select what I want. So to I should do in. something like that. And you, is that is that I, does that count as an RSP investment? Like, yeah, your RSPs. And see, this is where people get confused in the financial literacy part, right? RSP is just a tax shelter, right? So when you when you but put it's just some, an investment, yeah, yeah, like when you you can fill that tax shelter with whatever you want, you can make it money, you can make it stocks, bonds, or index funds. Like it's whatever. It's basically your investments that are sheltered mm-hmm. for a particular time period until you retire and you start pulling money out, right? Right. So one of the things that one of the things that people need to learn is that you don't have to be an expert in the area. It's always good to get financial advice mm-hmm. from folks and go talk to a professional. 
but realize don't try and make it as complicated as you think. For me, I keep it as simple as possible because one of the things with you know hiring um, hiring folks to invest for you is that they try and beat the market. Mm-hmm. And studies have shown by trying to beat the market, you're actually losing money. It's the passive investors that do well over large periods of time, right? And it's just like, it's better to be just in the market than trying to beat the market. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Yeah. Like, yeah. I follow his advice over others and he's like, if you're not a professional, just... Hold on. Because you're wasting your time. Time is the only (laughs) non-renewable resource where if you're going to put all that time, you're not really going to get any return Mm -hmm. and you can do it passively... You're you're in a better position than most. Right? Okay, so, so let's play a scenario here. You get a windfall of ten grand, mm-hmm. fifty grand, and a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that immediately? Well, do I have debt? Because I pay that off right away. And it's and do you follow the rule of paying the uh, the highest interest? Yeah, I would go that first. route. For some people, one is um, more efficient. Um, numbers wise and for others it's more um, psychologically better to start with the smaller ones and make your way up because well, right? I feel like I'm close to like paying off that condo kind of and but it's not the lowest it's not the highest debt that I have mm-hmm. and I feel like oh man maybe I should I just feel like I want to do that solely so that I can say that condo's paid off and then I got like a, it's like a $500 condo fee at that place oh yeah thing with the swimming pool that nobody uses <laughs> Never. That's that's financial advice from Albert. Never <laughs> buy a condo that has a swimming pool in it. Yeah. It's like, holy man. Just like, I'm always, like, no matter if I pay that thing off, it's still a $500 a month fee. Yep. To keep that. But it's also, it's like, it's also like a repair fund, right? Yeah. That you're paying into. So if there's things that need to be upgraded, yeah. that's what you're investing in. For sure. So. It's gone up. It's gone up probably $140 in a decade of owning. That's nah, not too bad. I've heard worse. Yeah, it was, but it was, it was high when I got in, that, mm-hmm. even in the mid-2000s. Okay, so you got 10, 50, and 100. Yeah. So if I had 10, I'd, I'd probably look more for debt payment because, um, you know, sometimes people get caught up in emergencies that, you know, are beyond their capacity and they have to borrow. Mm-hmm. 50? I don't know. I, I would start looking at different investments, right? So I, my perspective, I would still go down the passive route where – if this money is nothing for anything immediate, mm-hmm. right? Like, say you want to save up to buy a home, then you would use that for that. But if you already own your home... Would and, you dump it in to buy another property? Um, I'd have to assess it, right? Like, I'd have to look at the market. Right now, my perspective is I wouldn't, I wouldn't invest in real... I wouldn't invest in real estate right Isn't now. Isn't it different for different things, like condos versus homes? Uh, they're just they're different types of housing. Um, yeah. Condos have their own risks uh, built into it. Um, I'm not a big fan of condos myself, mm-hmm. um, but there's also like there's a whole other sub community of real estate fire folks who will say one thing or another, but it depends on where you're at and, and what stage you're at, right? So yeah. I'm not going to say for myself, I wouldn't put it in, in real estate right now, mm-hmm. um, but I would think of putting it towards my retirement or if I wanted more short-term goals, I'd put it into a TFS or tax-free savings account right? Um, just for put it, invest it, let it go. If I don't need it in 10, 15 years, I'm not even going to look at it, it's right? Because I don't want it, I don't want it to change my life. 
I don't want it to be. Would you to, take to a start. little bit out of that just to oh, enjoy yeah. life with your kids? And oh, I, I would. I would probably have a little bit of fun money and take ten percent and give it. So what give per- it away. Oh, okay. Yeah. What percentage do you have personally, like to in your mind for your family versus community stuff? Like you seem like you donate a fair bit to the community now. Um, that fluctuates. Um, we have a dedicated amount that we give because, and this is part of my whole uh, personal faith, is that we have friends who are working for nonprofit charitable uh, churches, and they depend on people to to fund their lives. So we do that on a consistent basis. But then sometimes, usually, if someone asks us, we'll seriously contemplate giving, and we'll we'll fit that into our budget. Right? It could be a one time thing. It could be a monthly thing. Um, and so we have certain causes that we really love and certain things that we want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And then if someone says, you know, I need 200 bucks, then it's like, yeah, let's see what we can do. Right. So, yeah. in hopes of making me feel better about my financial stuff, you've just actually made me feel like a huge piece of shit. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Start giving. Uh, it's good money. to know that you're still, uh, but the only way we can do it is because yeah, we budget. That's the only way. Like, yeah. it's not like something we spontaneously do. We actually make room in our lives because um, it's it's also a very spiritual aspect, right? So people shouldn't just do it because everyone else is doing. It's like this is a deliberate, meaningful, meaningful thing, and we just we give because of it. It's not. I don't. I, I there's lots of times where I struggle to give money away. Right. It's not like well, that's what my, my big question is. Right? Like, how do you how do you have your heart and your your mind in this world that is always asking more from us from a just a lifestyle perspective? And just if you look at the world of excess, like what's your thought on just where we are as humanity right now? I actually think we're in a good place. Really? Yeah. OK. Yeah. The world is getting better. You know the stats. For some reason, you just keep track of that stuff. Yeah, I so, geek out on that type of yeah. stuff, right? So what do you mean? Because in my opinion, I think we're all going to hell in a handbasket. I think we come from a very privileged place, right? Yeah. Like for us, going to hell in a handbasket is if our taxes are too high. It's true. And, right? you know, full disclosure, you and I grew up like pretty first world. Like your dad's a yeah. car, like a heart doctor. Yeah. And so my dad was a scientist. We never like we were kind of like living in the kind of privileged area. And, uh, so, you know, we didn't really have this story of hardship, you know, maybe our parents did when they came here and growing mm-hmm. up, they had a totally different story, but, uh, they gave us a very comfortable life. Yeah. Like my backstory is one of like deep respect for my parents, for right? Sure. Not just because they're my parents, but because of their story. And they both came from, from poverty. Both of their families moved out of poverty into some form of prosperity within the country they're from. And what country is your parents? Your mom so, was from Kenya? Your mom's from Uganda. My yeah. dad's from Malawi. Okay, not even close, Albert. I'll just name <laughs> In random. that area. Yeah, I'm, I know Africa. Yeah, Kenya. Everybody's from Kenya or South <laughs> Africa. Um, but they also, what they did is they were, my parents were brave enough to leave home to make a better life for themselves. So I totally respect my parents doing what they did um, getting married, having children, traveling like from Africa and to Malawi, to Uganda, to Moose Jaw, to Vancouver, to Saskatoon, and ending up in an obscure little town in a prairie of current, and making a life for themselves and just taking risk. 
right? Mm-hmm. And that and we're we're the benefactors of that, mm-hmm. right? But now you think the world's we're in a good spot. We're in a good spot because the world is made up of people like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like a large number of those people are. Isn't it super funny that your parents like? Do you ever just think about their lives of just? where they started and where they're now. Like, I know, I remember one time mm. I went to go pick you up for soccer one morning and your mom and dad had like the most, like, like your flower bed and your flower garden and your backyard's amazing, like mm. award winning. And I remember just your parents were up at six in the morning because we had to go to provincials and we were getting ready. And your mom and dad were just like drinking in their little gazebo, like yeah. tea at six in the morning on a beautiful day. And I was just, and they're like, come join us on the, in the mm. patio. I'm like, and I was just like, what are you guys doing <laughs> up at this hour? And they're just enjoying life. Well, and that's they because they worked hard for it. Like, yeah. And for them, like, why why stop yeah. doing that? Like, my dad is a doctor, so he's used to getting up early. Is so he still working? Yeah, he's got his practice. He's working like three days a week. It's not for him. Is like that's not work. Yeah. And so going from working like you know ninety hour weeks to working. 30 hour weeks is nothing yeah. to him. Yeah. Um, but when I really thought about my parents, they basically came to, came to Sifkern and created their own business, right? My dad's practice. Mm-hmm. And I always took my mom for granted that all she did was just be a mom, but she managed his practice. Yeah. She was a manager. Yeah. And it didn't hit me until I started doing this whole financial independence thing to be like, she's a business person. Right, and I sat down with her. He's like, "Mom, how come you never told me about this?" And she's like, "I don't know what's there to tell." Because I thought you're smarter and you would realize this. Well, no, she's she's just like, "I didn't think that would interest you." But I wish she passed on the entrepreneurial spirit Mm. that they both had. But for her, she's so humble, Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the major problems, especially for me and you, in regards to our being like second generation immigrants is that they don't want us to go through the same struggles they did. For sure. So they don't pressure us or pass on those entrepreneurial aspects. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sort of, I was sort of mad at my parents. But you're, you're shielded that. from kind of hard work almost. Yeah. yeah. That's not good. I know. <laughs> right? And so that's, I think one of the issues we face as Canadians is that we have become too used to being passive. Mm-hmm. And the thing with an entrepreneur or someone who owns their own business is they, they have to be engaged and active to survive. And so one of, the, one of the things that I've loved about the financial independence movement is that a large number of them are people who are entrepreneurs or first and second generation, um, either Americans or Canadians, who are basically thankful they have a movement to be a part of because their parents didn't pass that on to them. Mm-hmm. It's the same with also uh, kids who are moving from the farm to urban areas, yeah. this large urbanization, their parents aren't passing on that, that agricultural and entrepreneurial aspect onto their kids. Mm-hmm. And then all it takes is two more generations and that's gone. It's lost. That's yeah. lost. And that's how new Canadians, people who come to Canada are able to build their own wealth is because they out hustle us. Yeah. Right. And so when I, when I look at, People who come from Africa who are who are new here, they will out hustle me, right? I'm well, only, I'm, only, I'm only one generation away, and they'd be like, "I'm going to work harder than you." It's yeah. Nothing, nothing personal, but yeah. I'm going to work. I heard harder it's than the you. third generation in businesses. I've heard multiple times is that that squander the money away. That mm-hmm. it's uh, the, the the immigrant parent that comes in, makes the money, settles it, kids, and then the the, the 
child takes over and continues the success a bit, but it's like that third generation that really seems to like either sell it off or walk away from it because they didn't want a restaurant or something. And yep. then they end up, uh, or else squandering the money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, and, um, yeah, I think, but you know what, for me, that's, it's still a hopeful story because Canada's pretty much dependent on immigrants to keep our population and yeah. actually grow it. And yeah. that's, that's where I'm actually quite hopeful mm-hmm. because there's going to be this new blood that's coming in to push us forward. Same thing's happening in the States. Mm-hmm. All the tech companies, do you think, how many generation immigrant are they, right? It's yeah. like usually first or second generation mm-hmm. immigrant that are CEOs now, mm-hmm. right? And so the phenomenon will just keep happening. Elon. And, and if we continue to depend on immigration, we will actually become a better society the people are being told the exact opposite that, Oh, we're changing too much. That's precisely what we need. We don't need more of the same. We need new ideas, new, especially Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. Saskatchewan needs it, right? As painful as it is, it's, it's something that we need. If you look at our demographics, people are going to be retiring in droves and no one's going to take over the, the businesses that currently exist. Right. And I bet you, the majority of people who are Saskatchewan board do not want to take over a business, right? So there's going to be a huge gap. Mm-hmm. So do you ever uh, think about like running for office? Um, for about fifteen seconds, and then I used to work for provincial government, yeah. so I'm no desire to go deeper into that. I know. I like your message. I like the way you communicate. I think you, a lot of people get on your bandwagon. Um, I wanted to fill the last few minutes. About because you know being black and being Asian in Swift Current, um, we have a unique perspective. But I do want I think I want to save that for another time because I think that we could talk for another hour about uh, the experiences. But I do want to do want to talk about one thing just to like clear I'm, the air. I'm getting scared, between, man. No, between <laughs> us of when we were children, the one story that really bonds us together is that massive fire. <laughs> That right, we, that we started. Yeah, and I think I man, I wish I get Steve in here, Steve Wilkie, Chris in here to talk about. We're like that. outing them, by the but way. But that was a bad time in our lives. Like so, when we were twelve years old. Yep, and it was a summer day. No, it was during school. It was close to the end of school because we had For some reason we had. I think it was, was a weekend. It was a joint had- band thing that we had because we were young in in junior high and you went to a different junior high but for some reason mm-hmm. we were in this it was a hot summer day it was close to the end of the year yep and i don't know do you remember the details of it because i remember chris had <laughs> firecrackers and the reason we wanted to go out to this field to like is to light the firecrackers and it was dry like Talking like nosebleed dry out there. And yeah, it was hot. a nice grass field. But yellow. Nice dry it was, it was yellow, yellow, brownish. And we thought, you know what's a good idea? Let's light, we some light this sucker up. <laughs> but the funny thing was that the one wick wasn't available on that firecracker. Yeah. And these are the ones that just pop, like bang. They're not like the little like yeah. fast ones that sound like popcorn. It's like It was like a pop. And so Chris had that idea of putting it in newspaper. Yeah. And he stuck the firecracker in newspaper and just we just we're in the middle of the right behind It's behind a trailer park. It's right behind Mrs. Like, e, right behind Mrs. E's our principal like my, my principal of schools house in the trailer park which is closer to my house and just lit it up. And 
the the it was quite a sight. It was fast though. It was instant. Like like how dumb were we that we we're twelve years old that we would never think that that field would catch fire. We weren't thinking ahead. We were thinking in the moment. Like, we were thinking, let's light this up. But four of us. And, like, Chris was the optometrist kid. Steve Wilkie came from, like, the same neighborhood we did. You're the, like, cardiologist kid. My dad was, like, a scientist. Like, we weren't idiots. But for some reason, nobody failed to stop and just go. We just failed to stop and go, guys, like, this is, like, this is a grounds for, you know, back. Uh, Backdraft. <laughs> we lot. could kill. The thing is, one thing that really sticks out is the fact that there was a trailer park not far away, and, and there's propane, propane tank. tanks on the back of those trailers, and it was so right? close. To so those it things. could have been very, very bad. So what I wanted to get through is that I don't know if you guys know this, but this is the way I remember it. Mm-hmm. We started like trying to throw dirt over top of it because it was getting so big and out of control. But you. <laughs> Steve and Chris bolted, and that truck cut you guys off. The truck cut you guys oh, off. Oh, yeah, That yeah, truck yeah. cut you guys off because it yeah. knew it could see the smoke. Yeah. And you were just, you guys were all bolting, and I was about to take my pants off to piss on uh, it. Oh, until, and then I saw that truck. Yeah. And then that truck came, and I instantly, like, just did up my pants, and I ran downstairs or ran down the hill to that lady's the yard, and I said, mm-hmm. do you have a bucket of water? Like a bucket of water that's basically like crying on a, <laughs> a giant fire. And instantly she said, Why, what for? And I looked back and it was just, it was. No, I think, full, I think they full, knew. Full, full blade. So she, she, I think she's, I think she was like, okay or something like that. And we looked and turned around and saw it and it was just like beyond. And, and then we just turned and we said, you better call the fire department. I think the fire department was ready on its way. You think so? Or maybe because yeah, they came, they came real quick. But I remember thinking as soon as we talked to that lady, it was over. Like, like yeah. when you're young and you're 12, like you literally thought that was a death penalty. I had a very different, okay, my memory of it is very different. I can't, my memory is always, you can't always trust human memory, but um, I remember everything that you said. And you know who was in that truck? Who? It was the owner, or at least the manager of uh, that video store, Dandy's. No way. Boomers yeah. and dandies? Yeah. Did you recognize that person? I recognized her right away. Oh, it was a lady? Yeah. The, with the blonde hair and the glasses? Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, like, I, I know that lady. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. And so soon after the fire, and, and they put it out, thank goodness. Yeah, man. Because it would have been horrible. But I had, like, this, like, I don't know if it was dissociated sort of moment where it's, like, the fact that everything was okay that allowed me to relax. It didn't actually peak. Oh, you were my you were fear. worried about killing. I was, wor- I was worried about the fire. Homes and homes and, and yeah, the fire. Like, first of all, I was worried about getting burned by the fire, and second, all the other craziness that that was happening. Because when right? I was twelve, I honestly thought like uh, we're going to prison. Like I honestly thought that we were going to be in juvie. Like that you always heard my about first that. Thought. Yeah, that I don't know. I just thought. I just was thinking, man, I'm eighty-five pounds here. They're going to kill me in jail. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you. You have like this imagination that. Yeah, but anyways, the fire department came. But our par- my my parents weren't home yet for some reason from work, and mm-hmm. I remember coming home, and I remember being in the driveway, and as my dad, I was just I couldn't even wait, and I, my dad came home, and I remember just bawling yeah. in the driveway, just yeah. bawling and just like crying, hopefully that he wouldn't get super mad at me. 
And his, the look in his eyes wasn't like, are you okay? It was more like, what the hell did you do? Yeah. And then, uh, then they just like got so mad at me. And then they had to talk to the fire department yeah. and everything. And then uh, we had the band concert that night. I don't remember that. No, we had oh, a, this is for your school. No, but you were there because we were there and our, all our eyes were like so red from crying. Well, mine was. And I remember seeing you at that concert because I, you were in the different band. And I just, and I said, oh, yeah. I said, Fred, I said, were your parents mad? And you literally said, does a turtle have a shell? That's exactly what you said. What? You said that I to me. did not you say said, that. You're said, making that No, up. I swear to God, you okay, said that. Okay, here's, okay. The reason I remember this differently, because <laughs> I talked about this with my parents. My parents were not in town at the time. Oh. I was staying at Selvig's. Oh well, and my parents, my parents were in like, I want to say San Diego. And but did you have to call them? Yeah, I had to call them and tell them, but they were thousands of miles away. Like they're, they're just they like guessed? your parents are also like very, very pragmatic, pragmatic people. They're pretty chill. It's like, what can they do? And they can't punish me because they're thousands of miles. Would they have? I'm sure they would have if I was if they were there. And so, I think I was probably in the decent position of just like. I don't have to deal with this until my parents get back. So I'm trying to remember that particular. Oh, you might have asked. I, I, I remember. <laughs> I remember Selvig was. He was crying. We were all like traumatized from that event. I don't remember crying. Oh, I remember crying. I don't know. I remember like trying to be like cool when it happened, but then definitely when I got home, it was like, please don't beat me up. It's <laughs> not like my parents ever abused me, but I was just like thinking, okay, this is it. Like this is the worst. This is going to be on like Dateline. I think the hardest part for me was having to go to um, go to those like fire prevention. Yeah. Fire. That was harder for me than the actual like. <laughs> so I re- the only thing I remember about those fire prevention things was they were showing the result of. So we had to go to these like courses that teach you on how to do fire prevention. You know, it's definitely a one time thing, but was that they showed people who had accidents with Roman candles. Do you remember that? They I showed don't they that. showed like the faces and the scarring that would happen with Roman candles. They just want to scare you. Yeah. And they had one guy's they had all the eyes blanked out, but one guy's eyes were like like uneven. Uh, but the, it was the sensor that was uneven. And that's the only way you could tell you couldn't see his eyes, be, but his face got so messed up that the sensor had to be on like a weird angle just to cover his eyes. And Ooh. we were like, whoa. <laughs> So, yeah, that, and then it turned out that we had a juvenile, some sort of juvenile record till we were like 19. No. No, they said that we were going to ha- be, we were going to have some sort of thing on our record. Like we had to, like, didn't they say that? I no. swear to God that we got I think up. they probably scared us at thinking into that. What? But I don't remember that. Why would I ever think that? Like, it's, because I remember when I was 19, I was like joking to my friends. I'm like, oh, I'm exonerated. I got it. <laughs> I got pardoned. No, you, you would definitely have known. Like, they'd have to keep you in the loop. Because that's paperwork. That's administration. I guess you work for the government. You know these There's things. no Man. way that they'd just be like, oh, just casual. You know, when you're like, no, that's, that's I probably serious. use that line. You'd have to go to, to court. pick up girls. <laughs> it's like, listen, girl, you don't want to be a convicted felon here. Yeah. I could do time. <laughs> that was a bad year for me, though, because I think we were 13 or 12. We were 12. And, 12. And, like, the, the next year... I ended up uh, getting in a lot of trouble. I almost got suspended from junior high that year for sneaking somebody into the dance. Really? And then I uh, I kicked a water fountain down in the uh, in the ch- boys' change room. 
like drop kicked it after like our teacher told us we couldn't cheer and she sent us back to the change rooms early in gym class. And then I remember I was so scared that day and I just had to go like go to the office and admit to the vice principal, Mr. Brzozowski, <laughs> that it was me who broke this thing. And uh, then I got in a lot of trouble at home. And my parents were kind of wondering, like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's clockwork for this kid. And then high school seemed to be a little bit better. But I, I, had, I had very positive junior high school, high school yeah. experience. And I think I did too. And I think that it's only that I'm getting older that I'm becoming more bitter at like – I think my parents, our parents did a really good job of just assimilating and stuff. Current was actually pretty, it was a pretty good. It was average. Like yeah, there's nothing. It was, yeah. It wasn't like a horribly racist community in my mind or anything, but I think coming, I feel like there's way more racism today than there was when I was growing up. It feels strange. I think we were sheltered from that. It had to be. And I think from my perspective, like I'm assuming there, I, I, I can't imagine there not being racism in a small town, of current, right? In the 80s, yeah. But it's just the reason we didn't experience it is because we were the only ones. Yeah. and Right? And uh, so if you're the only ones, you're novelty and cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure as if, like right now, in of current, there's now a larger African community. And yeah, I guarantee they're going to be they're going to be facing racism that we you're didn't because we were a novelty. I never thought yeah. about that, that now it's so much that people might be annoyed by it. Well, there's a critical mass. Yeah, because then they find it as a threat. Yeah. Right? So if you get at a critical mass, people are going to start finding you as a threat because now it's a group of them, especially if they speak their own language, then it's like even more anxiety producing for people. And you and I have probably been, you know, coined the whitest minorities on the planet. We're just, we're we're assimilated. We're assimilated. We're a product of our environment. Right? So the thing is, so are they. They're assimilated. They've been assimilated. They came from different cultures. But they just and don't they, know. their whole culture has been eradicated, right? So, so the one thing I realized coming in first year university to Saskatoon is realizing how good our group group of friends were. That they like, if I think about back to Joe, Paul, and Coria and all those guys, they like never ever made me feel like a novelty or made me feel like Asian was kind of weird. They never once said anything, mm-hmm. and we were. They totally embrace their culture, and they, they're very worldwide world travelers now too. But when I got to university, it was almost like it got I got knocked back twenty years almost. Like mm. everybody just knew me as the Asian guy that was hanging out with all these white farm boys. Yeah. Did you ever feel that in your first year? Um, I think I did, especially like the stereotypes um, and all that stuff. Like I, that was probably where I experienced it the most. Like the most in regards to. It's like, oh, the only reason you play basketball is because you're black or the reason you're good at it. Uh, the only reason you can jump is because you're black. Um, all the wonderful But they would bring those up, and th- that type of stuff never was said to me when I was younger. It never registered to me that that would – like, I didn't even really know most of them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I heard here and there in of Current, but, like, that was very rare. Yeah. But it was just more prominent because it's – you're in bigger population. You're going to hear it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and – Kids are going to university for the first time. I've never encountered anybody. And 80% of the time, your interactions with students in res, they're wasted. Yeah. And so they're yeah, not. And I didn't drink my first two years. University. And they didn't. Yeah. So. But third year. Woo. Oh, I went nuts, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, Fred. Um, so give give a reminder what your, pod, your podcast and your blog is. So uh, my blog is prairiefirecanada.ca, um, really about my personal journey and discovering 
personal finance, financial literacy, the idea of planning for the future in retirement and all the wonderful things that come with that. Um, I don't have a podcast, but I would love to start one, but I've, I've been on, an, on a number of podcasts. So. Mm-hmm. Not uh, as fun as this one. This is the best one so far, I'd have to say. <laughs> of this year. Today. Today. Oh, man. He probably, did you do one earlier this year? Uh, I did one uh, in, no, not, well, 2018. So technically. So I did two, two in so 2018. technically. This is the best one of the year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably will be. Awesome. Well, anyways, well, I'm, we're probably going to have to do this again and uh, catch up with you and see exactly if you've actually hit it rich or are you still on the road to still, early retirement. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Fred. <laughs>